Hello, and welcome back to the End Zone Podcast. My name is Eric Jensen. Joined by good friend back after uh, a week off to cover Barcelona uh, for his new gig as a Barcelona blogger. It is uh, Trey Watkins. Trey, how you doing? Doing good, man. Doing pretty good. It's good to good to chat with you. It's been a little while. This is going to be, ladies and gentlemen, a classic off-season show. Um, Trey, as we know, likes to keep these things short. This is going to be kept short. I can already tell you. If we if we make it all the way to 8 p.m., something's gone terribly wrong, Trey. So uh, <laughs> I, I think we're starting here 7.07 Mountain Time. I am definitely, I am having some folks on, some friends on to talk NBA playoffs. That'll also be up on the podcast channel. Trey, you're more than welcome to join if you'd like. It's uh, It should be a fun time, but that's going to start somewhere around eight. So if we go past eight, this podcast has totally failed. But also, Trey, I mean, unless I totally missed something, which is possible, other than this trade that we had this week between the Saints and the Eagles, it feels like there has been little to no NFL news this weekend. Yeah, nothing. And that's I think that's usually the norm leading up to the draft. It's mostly draft stuff since uh, front offices are usually focused on uh, getting last-minute visits, interviews with different prospects, and sending up final draft boards and all that. Final draft boards are never completed this early unless you're insanely, insanely confident about that, which you shouldn't be. But, yeah, I think, that, like, around this time is used to when draft stuff usually begins to take over, and then we get into, you know, after that, uh, maybe that last final push of free agents going into – May, June, into July towards training camp and everything. So uh, around this time, it's usually Jasta, which isn't a bad thing entirely. Yes, indeed. So we will talk about that Saints and Eagles trade. We will then take a visit over to the, uh, uh, we'll just call it the non-football corner. Uh, I, I feel like this might be a good episode. Off-season episodes are always good to talk about things that aren't necessarily football that we like. So I figured we'd talk a little hockey. We'd talk a little baseball. We'd talk a little beautiful game. Soccer okay. at a big weekend. Uh, we'll do about 10 minutes on that. And then we'll close the show with takes that we have brewing. And uh, this is not a super research segment. I am going to pull up a list of NFL divisions. I'm going to randomly pick three, and I will give three takes that I have brewing. And I don't know how Trey's going to do it, but that is what I'm we'll better. do. We're, we're going we're gonna to talk about three takes that we have brewing. All right, let's get to the news. Only piece of news we have, Saints, Eagles. Trade, indeed. Some sure. interesting first-round movements that get made here. The New Orleans Saints doubled up on first-round picks in this year's NFL draft, while the Philadelphia Eagles pushed one of their first three-rounders back into 2023 as a result of of a blockbuster trade on Monday. In the trade, Saints received two 2022 first-round picks, number 16 and number 19, and a 2022 
sixth round pick, while the Eagles receive a 2022 first round pick, a 2023 first round pick, and a 2024 second round pick, plus a 2022 third and seventh rounder. Trey, your ultimate thoughts on what this trade means. Let's start with the Saints. Uh, I think for the Saints, you know, in terms of uh, current effects right now, I guess it gives them more versatility around the first round to really move around and see, you know, if they want to draft a quarterback, they can draft a quarterback if they falls there uh, to where the Saints are in the first round. But ultimately, I think for the Saints, it gives them more versatility to trade around potentially or, you know, do some more willing and dealing, you know, whatever they desire. I think that's really what it gives for the Saints at this moment in time. Uh, like I said, it could be a quarterback. You know, I don't know. I mean, they drafted Ian Book last year. And the only action he did play last year, he looked horrible. He looked inexperienced, which is to be expected. Uh, and they brought Jameis Winston back. Jameis Winston back, excuse me, he's coming off a torn ACL. And we don't know how he's going to look, you know, without Sean Payton, you know, being by his side and coaching him up and calling plays for him. So um, who knows what the Saints are going to do? You know, it, it'll be interesting because they're, they're in a weird spot where, you know, they still have a pretty good defense. Uh, they still have Alvin Kamara. They still have Michael Thomas. Uh, they lost Teron Armstead, but that offensive line still is good for the most part. So uh, it, it, they're in a weird position in the draft, and they made <laughs> their situation a little bit weirder with the straight, which, you know, all I can say is that gives them more flexibility at this point. Yeah, it seems like the Saints don't really have, per se – a plan. They are very much a team stuck between thinking they can compete and rebuilding. I personally would have gone the rebuilding route. That's that's just me, especially when the rest of the division is kind of in the same place. I mean, you look at the Falcons, you look at the Panthers, those are two teams that are rebuilding for sure. And then you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the top of the division. It just feels like a lot to try to right the ship with a quarterback pick here, especially when the quarterback class is considered not that great. Um, but it does certainly seem like those two picks are going to be focused on offense. And the Saints do have a lot of questions on offense because as it's been pointed out by lots of people on Saints Twitter, which of course, you know, I am deeply involved in, uh, they, <coughs> oh, excuse me. They probably have a bottom three wide receiving core in the entire NFL right now. And I know people point to Michael Thomas and say Michael Thomas, but Michael Thomas hasn't played in a year and a half. I mean, Michael Thomas to me is still a total unknown. There hasn't been much news about Michael Thomas. We don't even know if he'll be back this year or not. It's just kind of still up in the air. And there's a chance I think Michael Thomas even ends up getting cut or demanding a trade. That's that's just the way I, I see that playing out. I, I don't know. I'm not as sure as you are, but he's going to be part of the Saints' plans in 2022. Plus, Alvin Kamara is probably going to get a suspension for his incident in Las Vegas during the Pro Bowl. Yeah, that's a, that's a, you make a good point about Michael Thomas. Um, I guess with me, I'm still thinking that maybe he returns and 
even if he's not the same statistical monster guy that he was before he had to deal with these injury issues, I still think he's still a serviceable wide receiver and still fits what the Saints want to do, especially with their quarterback situation right now. So, um, but you you did bring up a good point about uh, the wide receiver situation. Aside from Michael Thomas, there just isn't really a proven guy on that or in that group. I mean, you have guys like Marquez Calloway, you know, has some speed, but it's very, you know, I, I guess he wouldn't be the wide receiver you would count on to help support uh, a contending football team. And, you know, aside from Marquez Calloway, I can't really think of any other guys off the top of my head since I haven't really examined their roster too much, but um, I just know it's just not a lot of quality there aside from Michael Thomas. And we don't know what he's going to be after the ankle issues, like you said. So, um, it's they're just it's it, it, they're in such a weird spot. I mean, I don't know what to expect from them. Um, I mean, if they swung a trade to somehow get Deshaun Watson, then I would feel a little bit more, uh, you know, clearer about their chances, you know, at contender wise. But since they didn't, and you know, they're stuck with James Winston. I mean, what's there? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, they'll certainly be a team to actually pay attention to a little bit maybe this year since they're in such a weird position. And, you know, I think what's uh, maybe one thing or another thing, the, the you know, the balance of them being competitive can tip in either which way. But, uh, yeah, I just don't know what to feel about the Saints. That's a good point on Jameis. I think Jameis is kind of one of my blind spots. I do just like the way the guy plays. I mm-hmm. thought he put up, like, pretty – okay tape last year I thought he looked like a starting NFL quarterback which he didn't always look like when he was in Tampa Bay but I think he's in a very tough situation he is and you know we didn't really get to get a good sample size of what he could be under a decent play caller and play designer because he was he only played for Sean Payton for what what three games in like a quarter before he got hurt against the Buccaneers. I believe. I think it was closer to six games, six games. Okay. I just can't remember when that game against the Buccaneers was when he got hurt, but uh, he just didn't get enough time to really showcase what he was under a decent play call like Sean Payton. So um, I don't know. That's, that's a real question mark for me, you know, because he had some moments under Sean Payton, but he also reverted back to a little bit of his old habits on the Sean Payton as well. So we just don't know what he really is and what he could really be um, under a decent play car, you know, at this point. So, yeah. And I mean, the other thing to point out here is that Sean Payton is no longer there. So, yeah. so we really don't know what the Saints offense is going to look like at all. At all. Yeah. It's, it's going to be completely brand new. And even if they try, you can try to run Sean Payton's offense. Sure. But without Sean Payton, it's, it's not going to be Sean Payton's offense. So, so I just feel like they're due for some regression just off of that too. Sean Payton really, uh, he put them in a really bad position to be completely honest with you. They, and they put themselves in a bad position, I think by bringing in Dennis Allen, but it, 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 I, I don't know what to think about the Saints. I think that they're just going to be kind of a mid-team in 2022, but we yeah, will see. Just like last year, yeah. Um, for the Eagles, man, I really like this trade for the Eagles. They yeah, basically 
they basically get a second rounder next year and they get two first rounders next year. The quarterback class is much better next year. You can use your two first rounders this year to get a linebacker, to get maybe another wide receiver to put around Jalen Hurts, see if with some more weapons he can do it. And then worst comes to worst next year, you have a top, you have maybe, and that Saints pick, you you know that Saints pick might be pretty good. Yeah. Especially if they are what we think they might be. And then suddenly you might have something like two top 15 picks that you could leverage into a trade up to get a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud. And then suddenly you have a really intriguing offense going into 2023. So I I really like this trade for the Eagles. I think it shows tremendous draft smarts by them. And I, I just think that it was a really good move. Yeah, it was a really good move by the Eagles, you know, we were a lot, and you see a lot of people talking about the draft. You see them talking about flexibility, man. You know, GMs want flexibility in the draft. They want flexibility in the cab. They just want flexibility, you know, in terms of assets and what they can use to make any possible moves. So, um, given this, you know, this trade gives the Eagles ultimate, well, not ultimate, but a good amount of draft flexibility this year and next year. And you bring, you know, alluding to the whole Jalen Hurts situation. I think that's exactly what this is. Um, there's been questions about Jalen Hurts and his long-term projection as the Eagles long-term quarterback. And um, they've tried to, you know, bring themselves to a better answer by surrounding him with weapons. They drafted Devontae Smith last year as well. So, um, you know, the whole narrative around Jalen Hurts now, you know, like you alluded to, is that if he's not really the guy, then they can just use those picks to trade up to get a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud, and then they go from there. But um, until then, they can just see what Jalen Hurts is. They can take their time and uh, just do their business. So, yeah, I, I think this was a really, really good trade by the Eagles because it just gives them so many – uh, avenues to take potentially if they need to go down one or even multiple. So, um, yeah, I think it's a really good trade by the Eagles. Yeah, I, I think the Eagles are a really fascinating team to look at going into next year because they did some stuff bringing in guys like Hassan Reddick during free agency to kind of revamp the pass rush. But I, I thought were honestly really good moves by them. I, I think that Howie Roseman has put together, again, just a solid offseason. And he has draft capital, plus he's made some wise signings, as I just want to go over some of the guys they got. So Hassan Reddick, obviously, they bring in um, – they signed Zach Paschal – who for Indianapolis was a very good kind of third option wide receiver. That's a really good ad for them to yeah. get some depth around, uh, w- around Devonte Smith. And then you have an opportunity to draft another top wide receiver in this year's draft, as well as a linebacker, but they bring in Kaiser white as a guy who can kind of be a veteran as well. And then, you know, they bring back Anthony Harris, you know, they, they have some pretty good offseason moves here. And I, I just think the Eagles have been one of the more kind of overlooked teams in free agency. But what they've done 
in the long term, I, I really do think it's not this year, but I think next year, especially if they get a quarterback, I think the Eagles could be a very exciting team, especially in a division that's so up and down like the NFC East is. 100% agree. Um, their whole rebuild has been kind of fascinating to watch because we, you know, I guess a lot of people crapped on Howie Roseman for how he handled the end of the Doug Peterson era and how messy that was. But he's really done his job. He's taken his time. He's made good moves. And now he's put this team in a decent spot to have a really good future. Uh, we talked about the first round picks earlier. And we talked, you, know, you talked about the moves that they made. You know, Anthony Harris, you know, bringing over Hassan Reddick, which I think is one of the more underrated signings in all free agency. So, just just making under-the-radar moves and making good moves, of course, uh, and just really playing your cards, right? I, I think that's what Harry Roseman has done and is doing right now, you know, to the point where he set this Eagles franchise up to have some good years in the future. So um, good to Harry Roseman, <laughs> and that kind of hurts to say because I crapped on him so much in the past, but uh, good to Harry Roseman. And if this Eagles sort of project doesn't pan out, in the next, let's say, two, three years, then I'd be very, very surprised because it looks really good on paper right now. Yeah, and I mean, you can look and say, oh, they're rebuilding or whatever, but it's wild how quickly time passes in the NFL. It's only been, what, like four years since they won the Super Bowl? Like, they, they have won a championship within this decade and they could be back in that kind of contention within two to three more years. So I, I, it's just been a really impressive job by yeah, Howie Roseman. 100%. So any other NFL news and notes that I've forgotten? Um, Dwayne Haskins, very sad news, yeah. passes away. Feel terrible about that. Um, yeah, was seemingly very loved by all his teammates. Um, and it's, it's just very sad that that had to happen. So rest in peace, Dwayne Haskins, anything else or is that? Uh, yeah, just it? alluded to the Haskins thing. Uh, that was real sad news. I really shocked me when I woke up on that Saturday morning, I was looking through the notifications that I missed on my phone and I saw that and shook my head like one and once or twice and say, really? So uh, like you said, it looks like he was really adored by his teammates. Looked like he was real positive guy and uh, to have a life like that taken away or end, have it ended so soon. He was only 24 years old. So to have life, someone's life in that, and, you know, at that young of an age, it's, it's always heartbreaking. So, um, yeah, rest in peace to Dwayne Haskins, Haskins and prayers to his family. Um, moving on for that, and it's kind of hard to move on for that. And I did have one or two things that I, you know, I guess we haven't really talked about. Um, the Debo Samuel and I don't I, and please interrupt me if you talked about this on the show on Sunday Eric but the whole Debo 49ers social media mess uh, Debo Samuel deleted anything relating to him and the 49ers on his Instagram page and indeed you know usually it's like oh my goodness who cares he's just social media but apparently now with the way social media is now we use social media and look at it, social media as a benchmark to determine player happiness and unhappiness with their team. So 
Um, but this one was a little bit extra notable since Devo Samuel was in line for a contract extension. And based on the work that he did last year, you know, he's due for a big lump sum of money. So, um, Eric, any thoughts on the whole Debo Samuel Instagram 49ers mess, really? Yeah, I find this the entire trope of player X deletes all NFL team media off of their Instagram, and therefore player X must want trade to be an extremely tired trope uh, and part of an extremely tedious discourse. Uh, I'm done with tedious discourse, I've decided. I'm just done with it. Uh, it's uh, I don't need to be involved in off season discourses that are tedious. Uh, don't just don't need it. This means absolutely nothing. Trey Debo Samuel is not getting traded. The 49ers are a well-run smart organization. My guess is he will have a contract extension within the next two weeks. And he'll be, we'll be talking about him as the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. That's how these things go. This is stupid. Why are we even wasting time on it? That's my take. I don't know. <laughs> it's, and I don't want to waste my time on it either, but with the way things usually go these days, especially with social media and player movement and player empowerment, which is the highest the league has ever seen in its history, I just feel like maybe it's something notable, something worth talking about briefly. But Do you really think he's going to get traded? Do you really no, believe that? the 49ers are that poorly run that they would trade Debo Samuel. No, of course not. But it's always something to bring up because chaos happens in the NFL. And <laughs> I love chaos. So <laughs> that's always one thing that I like All to right. bring up. Uh, one more thing, or maybe one or two more things. It depends. But um, Stefan Diggs' contract extension. Oh, yeah. Um, that was four years, $104 million extension. The AAV for that contract averages out to $26 million per year, which if I can, you know, I'm not sure. But off the top of my head, I know that puts him within decent range of being one of the highest paid wide receivers in all of football and deservedly so because he's been a statistical monster, you know, over the course of his career, except for his last year in Minnesota. So, um, he deserves that money, but that $26 million AAV value, I think it could shake up the wide receiver market a little bit more. And, you know, wide receivers that are due for new contract extensions, especially the young wide receiver uh, talent in the league, A.J. Brown, DK, or DK Metcalf, excuse me, and Debo Samuel. Those three guys are really due for gigantic raises uh, and new contract extensions. So, Eric, what do you think about the whole wide receiver market just – I guess you could say really looking lucrative for young wide receiver talent. I didn't even mention uh, Terry McLaurin, who's going to be due for a nice extension soon as well. So what's your thoughts on this wide receiver market really starting to blow up once again? Yeah. I mean, when we have these drafts where we're like, oh yeah, this draft contains like three wide receivers that are just going to be generation changing. Like when that happens every single draft, like wide receivers, you know, are are going to be up for big contracts. Your your take was an interesting one a few weeks ago, though, right? Didn't you you have the take that like the the Christian Kirk uh, contract was just going to change the value of NFL wide receivers, and now it looks like he just got the the low end of that, yeah. but. 
Um, I I still kind of disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Some of those guys, like there was that report out there. I don't know if you saw it. That Washington hasn't even approached Terry McLaurin on a new deal yet. That's interesting. To me, they're so poorly run and don't have a quarterback that why would he resign there? That doesn't make any sense to me. Like if you want to make a boatload of money, hit the open market. Like I I think Terry McLaurin and DK Metcalf are two guys that that might not end up resigning of that that group, Uh, especially DK Metcalf. I feel like the, the trade whispers around DK Metcalf right now yeah, are like very real. And I think there is a very real shot that a week before draft time, he gets dealt for a first round pick. I just think that's something that's going to happen. And uh team to keep an eye on there. I really do think the Jets would be wise to give up number 10 because yeah. you're, you know, Garrett Wilson is not better than DK Metcalf. Chris Olave is not better than DK Metcalf give up that number 10 pick to go get DK Metcalf and then give Zach Wilson no excuses. And if things go really poorly, again, you have a good offense set up to draft a quarterback next year. Exactly. Yeah. You make a good point about that. One thing about that though, is that it would, I don't know if it will reflect well on Joe Douglas, if his pick at quarterback really doesn't pan out, especially if, you know, he keeps surrounding him with talent. So I don't know if that would reflect that well on him. Uh, but you do bring up a good point about having a good offense in place for the next quarter for the next quarterback if Zach Wilson does indeed not pan out. Um, I, I do think, and I'll agree with you there on the whole DK Metcalf trade whispers. I think those are very real, really, really real because Seattle and I really don't think, and I think DK Metcalf. Here's, here's what I really think about DK Metcalf. Metcalf is a really good wide receiver, obviously. But I think a lot of his value was really aided by the fact that Russell Wilson is a really, really good deep passer, deep football passer. Like, he's a really, really good one. Um, He might not be maybe the best in all of football anymore like he was a couple of years ago, but he's still a really, really good deep passer. Uh, And so just getting DK Metcalf in specific isolated matchups to the point where he could take advantage of his straight line speed just run a nine or just, just run a streak down the field and, and, you know, against a specific coverage or a specific scheme and let Russell Wilson just lob it up and throw it deep to you. I think DK Metcalf was really, really aided by that. Not to say that that's his entire game, which it isn't. He's a, he's developed into a, a much better route runner than he was in college. Uh, and he has decent hands as well. So, um, but I, I really think a lot of his value well, not a lot of his value, but some of his value was predicated on Russell Wilson being a, being a real good deep passer. And um, I think now with Russell Wilson gone, maybe a little bit of that deep passing game might take a, a bit of a hit, especially now that the, the Seahawks seem, you know, been on starting Drew Locke or if they trade for Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, or if they draft a quarterback, who knows what they're going to do. But um his, I think Metcalf's value won't be higher than it is now. So maybe the Seahawks can ship him off, like you said, for the 10th pick uh, that the Jets have and really just cash in on the value that he has now and let New York take care of his next contract and see how, see how his situation pans out there. But, um, yeah, I, I, out of the three wide receivers that I really do to get extensions, which we, I just mentioned, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, and Debo Samuel, 
DK Metcalf is by far the more the more likely to get traded and shipped off to a new team 100 so his situation is going to be really really intriguing to monitor over, over the next couple of weeks before the draft all right okay non-football corner okay and then we'll get to two takes each that we have better brewing because this has already gone pretty long um for for an episode that i promised would be super short so tell me this so trey I've just come to this realization earlier today that La Liga basically fits perfectly. I have to work all these Sunday matinee baseball games that start at about 1 p.m. Basically mm-hmm. fits perfectly that I can throw on ESPN Plus and watch a La Liga game. So is there any chance that this La Liga race is not totally done? I mean, it's a 10-point lead for Real Madrid there. They have arguably the most informed striker in Europe in Kareem Benzema. Uh, is there any chance that Barca or Atletico or Sevilla or one of these teams catches up? No, I just don't. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I think the far more likelier team, if it were to happen, would be Barcelona because they still have the quality that they have. They're playing good football, you know, even though they haven't been as sharp after the international break compared to before. But Real Madrid is just too good. You know, as long as Benzema plays, that front line is literally, that Real Madrid front line is literally one of the best in all of the world simply because Kareem Benzema is playing like he deserves to win Ballon d'Or. And when he plays like that, Vinicius Jr. turns from a invisible winger with a lot of pace to one that can show a lot of quality, exploit that pace and use the spaces that Kareem Benzema occupies and frees up to where Vinicius Jr. can score a lot of goals, which he's done this year. Um, and he's also assisted a lot as well. So uh, I know, I just don't think anybody's going to catch it to Real Madrid. I mean, it's always possible because in football, things are just football in, in football. Things can, go a little bit crazy sometimes but this Real Madrid team they look experienced in the Champions League they literally put Chelsea through the daggum ringer Kareem Benzema by himself did so that was tough. as long as Kareem Benzema is healthy <laughs> as long as Kareem Benzema is healthy nobody's catching Real Madrid in La Liga but if he gets hurt then it's a little bit of a different story to me after I saw what they did to Chelsea this week I mean, I watched that whole game. It was arguably one of the best soccer games I've ever watched in my entire life. Um, I just think that they're the favorite to win Europe, to be completely honest with you. Uh, I, I don't see a single team still left that can stand in their way because, I mean, if they match up with Man City, how is Man City going to keep up with Kareem Benzema? Like, you don't have a nine. Like, I, I get that the... the the charm and what has worked for Man City is playing with this kind of false nine formation. But like, to me, I guess they and Liverpool are the other favorites to win the title right now. I I think Bayern will come back and beat Villarreal on Tuesday because they just perform insanely well at home. But I think the age on that squad is starting to show up a little bit and I'm not sure they can power through a Real Madrid or a Liverpool or a Man City in the semis but 
I just feel like Real Madrid's the odds-on favorite to win it because if it's not them, it might be Liverpool. But I don't think City stands a chance until they have a nine. I just, I feel that way very strongly. I mean, everybody has always said, well, it doesn't matter. But then they got to the final last year and they lost largely because they didn't have a nine that was able to play well like Kai Havertz was. So I, I, I don't know. I just feel like Madrid is definitely the favorite to win the whole thing in, in UEFA. Well, and that's not a bad take, especially you know, because they've been so successful in the Champions League in the past. Uh, but I think right now I still think Man City is the odds-on favorite simply because of that. Uh, if they matched up, you know, they matched up against Liverpool today, you know, and although they had some lapses defensively, and I think that was mostly because John Stones is simply not a serious footballer. <laughs> I, I think if they had Ruben Diaz back there, I think they would have been much better defensively. Uh, but I, I think Man City matches up pretty well against uh, pretty well against Liverpool. Bayern is a different story because Bayern has, a, I, I believe Bayern has the pace it has the wingers and it has the midfield to really push Man City to the brink. In all honesty, uh, I really believe that the toughest competition remaining for Man City is Bayern, and that's if they come back and beat Villarreal in the second leg this week, which I think we both think they will. So um, the thing is with Real Madrid is that their midfield is so experience you know and in, 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 in like a bad way there's so much age and there's so much loss athleticism in that midfield that i just out of disagree all, i think you're not watching luka modric like he is still well, luka modric yes look is, look look i, I am watching he, I, I get I, he's, I know i get he's old but like he's still got it Okay, maybe sure but against the more youthful midfield that has a little bit uh, of class, like we saw against Barcelona. I just think you're under. I just think you're underestimating one of the best center mids in the world. I don't, I don't I'm know. not underestimating him. I'm just simply stating that the midfield of Real Madrid can't really keep up with more youthful, uh, talented sort of midfields. We saw what they what Barcelona did. We saw what Pedri and uh, what those other guys were doing uh, to Real Madrid in a four 0 win. We saw what Chelsea in their midfield did. And the only reason Chelsea wasn't really in that game for the most part was because Kareem Bisma ran wild. But we saw what Chelsea did to that midfield, Real Madrid midfield, throughout that first leg. They were toying with them. Well, maybe not toying with them, but they were playing really, really good football against that midfield. And that's because Conte uh, and the rest of that midfield is really, really good and has a lot of quality. So uh, I don't know. I, I, that's just really my take on Real Madrid's midfield. Now, if they start incorporating more Kamavinga into that midfield, because I, I believe he's actually really talented and has a lot of potential at Real Madrid, then I think you know his quality alone can help Real Madrid stack up more against some of those midfields because he's somewhat good defensively, uh, but in the attack he looks so steady and smooth and calm for such a young guy. So, um, but you know, Real Madrid really opts for that three-headed monster from midfield. Well, not monster, but that three-headed midfield of Tony Cruz, Luka Myrich, and uh, Casemiro. So, um, but that that's just really my sort of thoughts on the Real Madrid midfield and why I just don't think they're favorites for the Champions League right now. And, um, you know, my humble opinion. 
we will see how that all plays out. Baseball, really quick. I just want to ask your question. As a Yankees fan, and me as a Yankees troll, I can tell you what I want the Yankees to do this year. I'm hoping for about 90 wins and a divisional round blown lead where they lose in five, uh, where maybe they have a 2-1 lead. That would be pretty fun. But as a Yankees fan, what are your expectations for the Yankees this year? Um, My expectations for the Yankees, and this will not change until proven otherwise, fourth place finish and a dogfight for a wild card spot. That's literally what I think because the AL East literally has three teams that could win it. Tampa Bay, Toronto, who I think will win, and Boston. But I'm a little bit concerned about Boston's pitching. So um, I think those three teams – all have a decent chance to win or, you know, at least have one division winner in there and didn't have two fighting for a wild card spot, which honestly I think that's going to happen because I don't know. I just think the AL East has a lot of quality this year and the Yankees just aren't matched to stand up to that, sadly. But fourth place finish. And if they do better than that, I'm not investing any of my emotion into this team. <laughs> until they show some postseason success and show some balls. So, yeah, uh, keep me away from the Yankees, man. All right. Well, we will do uh, periodic check-ins throughout the summer, I'm sure. Uh, Yankees going to play on a lot of Sunday night baseball, I'm sure. And, and that's kind of what, what's going to be on the back on in the background for the rest of the summer as we record this yep. podcast is, is a little Sunday night baseball. Um, personally, I, I don't have much to add to this conversation. Uh, can I just tell you the teams I'm following this year? As as sure. I, you know, I don't really have a real baseball team. I guess the closest thing I have is the Angels, but they're always terrible. Um, I'm following the Reds again, even though that they Ew. suck now. Um, yeah. But my three teams that are in contention that I've decided I'm getting on board with: I like the Mariners, I like the Blue Jays, and the Phillies. I'm, I'm a big Nick Castellanos fan from the Reds days. So I, I've watched, the, I think the Phillies are the ones that I, I have the most chance of watching the most of their games. Yeah, the Phillies are interesting. Honestly, they really improved their lineup. They got Schwarber, they got Castellanos to really pair with Bryce Harper. So that lineup, you know, at least from star power, it looks really, really good at first glance. The only thing I'm still concerned about is their bullpen. Their bullpen stunk last year. They didn't really do anything to address it this year. Well, that makes sense. Traditionally, I root for teams that are awful when it comes to late-game situations. So that makes sense. Yeah, and the Reds, they literally shipped off everybody that could have made the team good. They shipped off Sonny Gray. They let the Castellanos walk. Hey, Hunter Green was good. Hunter Green yes, was good. he was. He, he was, was good. I'm happy for him. I'm actually really excited for his future. But he, the Reds are just stinky. He was good. Yeah. yeah. The Mariners. I know. Look, the Mariners, if – look, if – and I'll, I'll get this sound advice to anybody who wants to get into baseball. If you want a team that you can stick with and won't have to – well, actually, no. Let me take that back. If you want a team that will test your limits as a fan and your mental sanity, and if you want a team – that will continuously disappoint you when it comes to playoff discussions, then pick the Mariners. Because, look, let, let's be real here. 
the, the Mariners aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Anytime what are you soon. talking about? They added no. a ton to their lineup. They, they have a Cy Young winner as a pitcher. They, they, I no, think Robbie they Ray will... still not. No, 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 Eric. No, I just, I well, just think that well, they're going to be a playoff. Real team. baseball enthusiasts, enthusiasts recognize that that whole fake last late season search by the Mariners last year was fake and it's not carrying over to this year. It's just not happening. If it does, then good for them. But I can literally put my foot on the table, stomp on the table with my size 16 foot and sit at the Humble Seattle bag. Mariners are not making the playoffs this year, 100%. They're just not that good. But if they do, then congratulations, all right? But I'm confident that they won't. Very confident, actually. That was a weird flex to throw your shoe size in there. Weird flex. But, yeah. but hey, <laughs> I, I, I respect it. Um, all right. It's 747 now. So let's just do one take that we have brewing. Uh, Trey, I'll let you go first. One NFL take you have brewing. One NFL take that I have brewing. Um, I don't really know this is a take, but goodness gracious. I think everybody should feel bad for Justin Fields, man. Everybody should feel bad for Justin Fields. Um, I know Ryan Poles has been on the job for less than three months. I will leave less than three months. But goodness gracious, that roster looks gutted. That roster looks gutted. I mean, and then that offense as well just looks bad. I mean, Darnell Mooney, you know, Darnell Mooney and Justin uh, Fields had a good connection last year. But aside from that, there just isn't a lot there, you know? So, I, I mean, I don't know how the Bears are going to be able to – move along with Justin Fields development because that roster around him, that roster around him looks horrible. Uh, and, you know, just to make it even more worse, they literally have no draft capital this year. Right. None. I mean, they have cap. They're going to have a lot of cap room, presumably next year. I believe, I believe I saw it was like over a hundred million dollars in cap space next year, just because of all the contracts they've let go and moved off the, you know, moved off the books, but goodness gracious, this year might be rough for Bears fans, like insanely rough. Yeah, I was legitimately shocked that they did nothing to help their young quarterback. Like, it's literally the same roster as last year, but worse. And they lost yeah. offensive linemen from a bad offensive line. Yeah. I mean, like, real worst-case situation, like, Justin Fields just really fails, and they're drafting another quarterback next year. I mm -hmm. mean – it's, it's crazy. And we thought just last offseason, we were talking about, oh, look, I mean, once they fire Matt Nagy, things are going to get better. I don't know. I think you're right, Trey. I think things are going to get a lot worse for the Bears. And, you know, <laughs> God help that fan base who you know, who you know, through August, will keep tweeting. Actually, we have a really good wide receiving core because they're delusional people. And Come week five, they're going to realize very quickly that, oh, maybe we're worse than the Detroit Lions. And that's a very sad realization to have to come to. So, you know, I, I, that's a good take to be mulling on Trey. Yeah. I'm going to go more positive. I was going to diss on the Panthers because my original take was I think the Panthers might outside of the defensive line, have a bottom three roster in the entire NFL. Um, yeah. 
but I'm going to give DJ more a little credit and, and leave the Panthers alone. Uh, I guess the take I have brewing right now resides with the AFC South, which includes your Titans. But Trey, over the past week, I've thought about it more. And I think if the Colts draft a wide receiver or sign Odell Beckham Jr., which there is smoke that might happen, I legitimately think the Colts should maybe be the favorites to win the division. Uh, I, I don't think the Titans did a lot other than keep Harold Landry this offseason. I think that we kind of saw what Ryan Tannehill was last year. And you know me, I'm the biggest Ryan Tannehill defender there is. But I think Matt Ryan might be better than Ryan Tannehill in Frank Reich's offense. I think that that's a real possibility. And I think the Colts are a good draft, which they usually have under Chris Ballard. They are about a good draft away from me saying, oh, yeah, I think the Colts can win the AFC South. Here's the entire problem that I have with investing in Colt stock year after year. Uh, they have a real roster, quarterback this year. Matt Ryan is yeah, a real quarterback. That does not, and I mean that just does not change the fact that, number one, the Colts still have three holes to fill on an offensive line. Important spot, nonetheless. Number two... They literally have no wide receivers outside of Michael Pittman. Number three, they do not have a a solid option at tight end. I think Jack Doyle retired. So what what have they left to tight end now? Mo Ali Ali Cox and who? Number four, there's questions about Frank Reich. Serious questions, especially after the whole Carson Wentz debacle. Um, but I think those those questions are more reaction based instead of fact based because we saw how he worked with Philip Rivers and he did a real good job with him there. Oh, and number five, that defense literally has no secondary. <laughs> that quarter room is horrendous, man. It's horrendous. Oh, and number six, the defensive line isn't all that great either. I mean, Yannick Ngakwe is cool. But Quiddy Pay is unproven. That interior defensive line group, you know, I haven't looked over the Colts roster too often, but based on first glance, it doesn't look too impressive. I mean, the linebacker core, you have Darius Leonard, sure. I mean, but who else? Nothing. Don't And don't try to say, oh, it's a bunch of guys. The Colts made it work. Matt Ever- Everflew made that work. He made that work. He made that work. Now he's in Chicago. And who did they bring in for his replacement? Who was it? Gus Bradley? Gus Bradley, Mr. Jensen. Uh, I'm, okay. No, here, I'm not my, buying here, into the Colts, man. Here's, here's my counterpoint. The Titans secondary wasn't that good down the stretch. The Titans pass rush was the only thing going for the defense. That's just not true. I totally believe that that is absolutely true that is just not true tennessee titans along with their defensive line being good 
they had a good combination at linebacker with David Long Jr. and Zach Cunningham, which really worked well together down the stretch. Those are middling linebackers. Middling linebackers? I don't – okay, they're not elite linebackers, but they're good scheme players to Come what on. the Titans Those are run. middling linebackers. The, they're the not difference middling. between the Colts' defense and the Titans' defense is not that much. It's just not. Are you serious, man? No, I am dead serious. I just – that's just the way I feel. And the, the only question gotten, marks, the, the only the, question marks on that defense is literally the opposite quarter spot aside from Christian Fulton, which should be filled by Caleb Farley. But we don't know how he's going to come along because number one, he's injury prone, and number two, when he was on the field last year, he looked bad. Number yeah. two, we don't know right. what the whole linebacker coverage situation is. But those questions are usually solved simply because the Titans run a good scheme. Those are the questions. That's it. I don't want to hear any rebuttal you have because I literally know the facts, brother. I'm telling you the facts, man. I'm just going to disagree with you. Uh, and, I, and maybe maybe eventually, maybe part of it's because I want disagreement on this podcast. But I'm telling you, I don't think the Titans are going to win this division. The other take I have brewing is that the Jaguars are like an offensive lineman plus a wide receiver in the second round away from maybe Trevor Lawrence becoming the best quarterback in the division. Okay. I mean, like that could, like that could very realistically happen. I've been watching Trevor Lawrence tape and I'm like, man, part of this is, I, I just blame the bat on not having a real coaching staff. I think that yeah. he's going to be fine. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, Doug Pedersen's proven, proved his work with, uh, Carson Wentz in the past during his MVP year, but you know what? I, I'm not going to push back on that too much because Trevor Lawrence does have the talent. He did show some glimpses glimpse last year, just that he was being coached by uh, the, uh, by the bar guy. The bar by guy. <laughs> the bar guy. By Mr. an idiot. Urban Meyer, so. <laughs> by an idiot. So uh, we, we will, uh, we'll, we'll see how that all goes. All right, Trey, that's it for us. We're out of time. Uh, we'll be back next week. We're going to have Ryan on, uh, get on YouTube, look at quarterback highlights. We're talking quarterbacks and, uh, that'll do it. Thanks so much yes, for sir. joining me, Trey Peruge. And, uh, no we will see you next week. Yes, sir. Follow us on Twitter at EndZonePod. Follow me on Twitter at Eric 18 Utah. Trey, where can people follow you online? Uh, follow me on Twitter at Trey Watkins 099. I look, man, it's a mixed bag with my Twitter, dude. You're not gonna get anything 100%. It's gonna gonna be a mix of the most random things you've heard. So basically, um, me and Trey that's are my Twitter. Me and Trey are kind of the same person on Twitter. We just tweet about sports. That's literally my Twitter, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> find my work on Broadway Sports Media and Black Sports Online. Going to be trying to put out more draft content, you know, especially now with classes winding down. I've been insanely busy this semester, which has been horrible for content purposes. But hopefully I'm going to be less busy over the next couple of weeks and I can push up more draft content, which is fun for me personally. So, yeah, find me there. And see if you enjoy my work. And if you do, then uh, thank you. If not, then screw you. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy my work. And uh, yeah, follow me wherever you can follow me. Indeed. And I just realized we forgot to take an ad break. So here, 
you will hear the ad and then we will head out. Have a good evening all. See you next week. Let's take a break. Trey, unfortunately, the reality of human life is that someday we will all pass on. No one wants to think about it. It's an uncomfortable topic, but it's important to take care of you and your loved ones when that day comes. That's right, Eric. Fortunately for our listeners, we know of a great guy that can help you set up your wills and trusts. Absolutely, Trey. Our friend Andrew McCullough has you covered. You can find him on Twitter at A-M-C-C-U-L-L-O-U-G-H-105. His DMs are open, and he and the folks at Brindley Sullivan can help you take care of you and your family's estate planning needs. Don't just take our word for it, though. Here is University of Utah star and current draft prospect, Britton Covey, to tell us more. Hey guys, Britton Covey here. As my long time at the University of Utah is coming to a close, it's time for me to start thinking about my future. There's no one I trust more than Andrew McCullough at the firm of Brindley Sullivan for my estate planning needs. Give his office a call to set up a free consultation at 435-673-9220. Andrew's firm is headquartered in St. George, but he spends plenty of time along the Wasatch Front taking care of his needs. So call him and tell him that Britton Covey sent you. More info at TrustYourTrust.com.